This is the final word, weekly edition, coming to you today from Hampstead Cricket Club. Jeff Lemon with you, Adam Collins with me. We're going to be here doing a live show tomorrow, uh, our time. I don't know what time it'll be. You'll probably be hearing this while we're doing the live show, so we won't remind you to come to it because it's too late. Time has flown. You've missed it. Almost all the tickets have gone by now anyway. It's Sunday. Uh, afternoon, our time. We've just been at Lords today and uh, we've been interviewing James Pattinson, Australian fast bowler, uh, thanks to Kookaburra who teed that up. They've been in town doing their smart ball demonstration with their magic new computer ball that you charge by putting on a wireless phone charger. It's pretty cool. G'day, Jeff. Yeah, the uh, the smart ball launch yesterday at Lords was, well, Gilly, Shannon Gill's been telling us about it for a little while now, so I was looking forward to seeing how it would actually compute mm. on the screen and it tells you all sorts of numbers that you don't normally get. That is to say, we've had radar for a gazillion years covering um, international cricket. Well, probably 1997 or thereabouts, mm-hmm. we started seeing the, the ball speeds on the uh, on the screen. And before that, um, in 95 in the Caribbean, we got to see close-up spin vision, I think they called it, with the uh, with Shane Warne out of the hand. But this sort of combines all of that. We can see with spinners the revs on the ball out of the hand, mm-hmm. off the pitch and in the keeper's gloves. And we were kind of theorising last night about what it all means, like watching my own numbers bowling quite slow through the air versus as Labuschagne giving it a big old rip out of his hand and and so on and and uh, and the fast bowling as well. We saw Joss Butler run in and bowl some absolute filth, which I really enjoyed, proving that Joss Butler, at least in one discipline of the game, mm. isn't a freak. He can't bowl. He right. he, he bowls very awkward medium pace. Exactly right. So <laughs> this, he bowled the fastest ball on the day, which I think was a no. Sorry, Michael Kaspervitz bowled the fastest ball on that. He Not bowled surprised. 114 clicks off five paces at age I don't know 44 or something. So and um, Casper still got it, but um, Joss Butler got it up to about 105, <laughs> which is in those. Virat Kohli, A.B. de Villiers' areas from the 2015 oh, World Cup. Oh, God. Sure. I remember A.B.'s stuff was just, it was awful. It was nude. It was, he had to take the cap off and, and you right. could see the bald patch because he was coming, you know, the, it's unflattering with the camera angle from the back as mm, the bowlers mm. coming in. He was wobbling down the nude nuts with the, the sort of Chris Harris-style release. Everything about it was wrong. Yeah, there's the, the, by stark contrast, you mentioned we talked to James Pattinson. What an absolute joy that was. I mean, we've talked about interviewing Pattinson for a while now, being part of the, the Kookaburra stable and a player. We've both taken a fairly strong interest in over the last five or six years, longer for me. And enthusiasm for, I would Yeah, say. I mean, you know, just someone who has had, had this re- really weird story, bursting onto the scene so young, bowling it a better part of 155 clicks on debut, being the most stunningly gorgeous outswing bowler on debut at 150 clicks against New Zealand. And then obviously we know about what happens with all the injuries that start to, to build up and the mm. operations he required, including that kind of touch-and-go operation 18 months ago, which, I mean... We, we, we said to him in the interview, we think about bowling speed, but he couldn't get out of bed. Like, has mm. a real sort of human effect if something like that goes wrong. Yeah, and you, you imagine after all of those operations and so on, he could come out of it kind of Joker-style, you know, twisted and evil by all that has happened to him. But he's actually come out of it more balanced than before and, and more balanced than anyone has a right to be, really. Yeah, uh, perspective's an interesting word um, when, when thinking about cricket. Well, we've, we've had a lot of guests on the show who seem to have it and, and Paddo sort of slips right into that stream of people we've had on recently, like Glenn Maxwell, Jimmy Neesham, uh, Joss Butler and others. Who, Kate who's Cross. Kate Cross, great example again, who seem to be able to have placed cricket into their broader life. Yeah. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I can see why for a fast bowler who's spent so much time on the sidelines, so much time in rehab, that you might struggle to have that perspective, but... But not, but not James. So yeah, that, that was that was a lot of fun. So I, I think you'll enjoy that. Not just because it's a, a conversation about recovering from serious uh, adversity, but also because he's a lot of fun. He, he likes to talk about his upbringing in Southeast Melbourne, which is where I first came into contact with him as a young boy. Um, about you know his dad and growing up in Grimsby and all these other bits and bobs which you don't normally get in a, in a bog standard interview. Well, let's get on to it. Uh, the the Lord's Test is coming up a couple of days after recording this. We spoke to James Pattinson at Lords uh, after he'd had a bit of batting training and uh, this is the final word with James Pattinson Hi, I'm Ian Chappell You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon This is the final word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon, and we are thrilled to have with us here at the Home of Cricket, James Pattinson, Australian fast bowler. Um, you made your return to the test side last week at Edgebaston. Did the thought cross your mind at any number of different intervals in the last couple of years that that just might not happen for you? Yeah, um, firstly, thanks for having me on you guys. It's a, um, it's a pleasure to be on. But um, yeah, look, um, I think all, all uh, different things go through your mind over a long period of time. You, you talk about being three years since I played a test match and during that time I managed to play a bit of county cricket. Then, you know, I was sort of, you know, feeling top of the world after that and then came back getting ready for a test series and my back went again and then obviously decided to go down the path of surgery. So, you know, there's all different emotions that that, that get thrown up. It's obviously, is it my love? I played my last test, have I played my last first class game, that sort of thing. And then, you know, once I sort of went down the, the, the path of getting surgery, I thought, you know, I, my goal is, I've done this now, my goal is now to get back to play test cricket. So, yeah, it's, it's um, you know, it's pretty, it's some great feelings um, after the last test match, that's for sure. You've had so many near comebacks and talking about your last chance and it seems like the narrative around you, it's, oh, James Pattinson's making yet another comeback. Did, did you feel that kind of expectation and pressure last week to an extent that, gee, I hope my body does hold up now that I'm back on the big stage? Um, a little bit. I think as you get older, you, you, you play games and stuff and you, you, know, you, you learn how to sort of manage your body a bit and during games and stuff, you know, when to sort of hold back a little bit if, if things aren't quite as, as you like. But... Um, you know, touch wood, everything's been sort of pretty good so far um, after the test match and um, even leading into that, I think my preparation leading into it was fantastic mm. and I managed to, to play a lot of um, first-class cricket over here as well as back in, uh, back in Australia during the summer as well. So in terms of preparation and stuff, everything felt good. But, you know, that's, that's the main thing. You know, you, you get through a test match now, it's, you know, that's over now. You've got to prep for the next one. You've got to mm. keep your body, you know, in tune for, for the next one. People were maybe accusing us of being parochial Victorians, but we were particularly enjoying seeing you run out there with Peter Siddle and, and play a test match with him. And, you know, they just, it just stirred something in our hearts. Um, <laughs> how good was it for you getting out there with such a great mate? Yeah, look, it was pretty special. Um, you know, we had a bit of a hug and, you know, a few words before before we went out there and bowled and just to, to remind ourselves, um, you know, sort of how lucky we are and how much we've, we've sort of come through the ranks together. For me, sort of like having that, that older brother figure playing throughout my career, and I was lucky enough to start my career at Victoria with my brother playing and, and obviously Sid's as well. So, you know, I think every debut and every sort of big game like last week, I've always had Sid's there. So it's, um, you know, it's sort of a comforting feeling having, having him there, that's for sure. We've often talked about having the big four being fit at the same time. Yourself, Pat Cummins, Josh Hazelwood, Mitchell Stack, 
maybe even featuring in the same Test 11. That's unlikely, it would seem to happen in this series, given the commentary from Tim and from JL as well. But what we're more interested in, I guess, is how do you get to that stage? We hear a lot about your back being fused together. What does that mean exactly? Like, it, what happened in the surgery? And give us a sense of what it felt like, say, two or three days after you've gone under the knife when you're, I assume you are in New Zealand at the time, was it, having gone to a specialist that you accessed through Shane Bond, was it? Yeah, it was. So, um you know, there was probably a month after I you know, found out my, my stress in my L4, which had been pretty much the, the problem area for, through the whole time. Um, ever since I got a stress over here in, in the Ashes 2013, I sort of, there was a month period there where we were sort of umming and ahhing and whether, you know, whether the surgery would be a success. You know, we had opinions from, from over in England, people who have done surgeries over here. And, and the, the initial, um, they sent my scans off my back and the, the guy in New Zealand initially said, look, I don't think that I could really do much. Your back looks like it's it's too it's too far gone. So Blimey. for me, that was sort of like, you know, pretty tough news to take. Then I thought, oh, you know, I'm sort of going to have a maybe a one-day career here. I might play a few 2020s and one-day career and, you know, first-class cricket might, you know, I might never get back there. So um, there was sort of a, a fair bit of um, contemplating over that month. And then eventually, you know, he sort of said, well, look, if you, you're willing to take the risk, um, you know, I, even if I can make a sort of 15% difference in, in it, then, you know, it might be just what, what you need to, to keep you on the park with, with that, with a bit of management and, you know, talking to players, like you said, you touched on Shane Bond before, I was in constant, you know, talks with him about how he felt about the surgery leading into it and then post the surgery as well. And, and also Corey Anderson from New Zealand had it 10 weeks post post me as well. So, uh, sorry, before me. Um, and, you know, he was another guy that, that I shot off a few texts to and just got his opinions on a few things. So, you know, having people go through that ex- experience and, and being able to, to lean on them is, is great and, um, you know, really helped me through that phase. So it must be scary, you know, you're standing on the brink of something basically staring into, like, this might all be over, um, and but not having to do that alone must have been important. Yeah, I think it was... The thing is, um, at that stage, you know, I was, I was married and the support of my wife was really good and, and I thought... I've always been... I've always kept things pretty realistic, you know, I've... You know, I always kept my, my close home mates from back home, my family and that sort of thing. So I think for me, cricket's not always been everything. I think, um, you know, I could, well, not easily, but if, if I sort of had in my head, if, if things didn't go right with cricket, I'd, I'd move into to something else. And, you know, I was just thankful that I sort of had the, the chance to play test cricket at such a young age. So, you know, for me, that really helped me get through that period. Like I, I hadn't sort of, you know, cricket wasn't everything for me. I knew that, you know, I could, you know, get a life outside of there and be happy as well. So, you know, f- for me, knowing that I had accomplished playing test cricket and, you know, my my dreams at that stage were sort of fulfilled. If, if I didn't get back to playing test cricket, then, you know, so be it. Um, you know, I'd move on to the next thing. But you know, once I got surgery and, and you know, I sort of, in a way, it sort of freshened things up for me a bit. I knew that, you know, I, I'd have the surgery, you know, my rehab would be different. Um, there was different different feelings. There was different processes around that. You know, the good thing was we, we moved from, from the MCG to the Junction Oval with Victoria too, so that was a fresh start for me. So that really, I think it was sort of like, I was looking at it sort of like, you know, halfway through my career, it's just maybe a bit of a freshen up, a bit of a change that I need. So once I had that surgery, it was pretty much, you know, my goal was to play in the Ashes. Yeah. We were all talking about your peak pace in that period. I remember Peter Siddle talking to us saying, don't rush him back, leave him be. But I suppose just after surgery, I mean, give us a sense of the physical response to that. You would have been focused on, like, just simple day-to-day life things, I assume, at that point. We're worrying about your bowling. You're probably just thinking about how am I going to get tie my shoelaces together or whatever it is. Well, I was talking about it the other day. I, was, um, I remember um, I said, 
initially they'd booked me on a, a flight three days after my surgery and um, I couldn't even roll out of bed after that and I was getting show- getting the, the nurse to shower me and all that sort of thing so you know, that gradually just get pushed back further and I think you know, I spent two weeks um, over in New Zealand I, I was a week in hospital and then another week in a hotel room and I was I really, to be honest, I was struggling to walk around. I remember going for a bit of a walk, and it was quite ironic actually, because um, my wife had come over, and we'd we'd walked, gone for a, quite a long walk, and we stumbled across um, Hagley Oval in in New Zealand, so where I played right. my last test, test match. Yeah, yeah. I just walked around there, and I sort of like, I know it was sort of a weird feeling, like I've just come over here for for back surgery, and this was my last test match, you know, sort of two years right. ago, and I'm standing there, and it was a completely different site. It was just empty. You know what it's like over there? It's like a park, mm-hmm. abandoned park. So I was like. I was saying to Kayla, you know, this is where it sort of it all sort of feels like it's sort of ended there and that sort of thing. But you know, and I remember seeing that and walking back home, and I've struggled to get home. I had to ring a cab to, to get home because my back was so sore. I think I'd walk too far just to try and see if I could find this place. So, um, yeah, that was it was quite amusing, quite ironic. Yeah. That's a, that's a bizarre sort of thing that you've got these kind of ghosts of the past wandering around that that little oval in the middle of the parkland there. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It is. Um, I remember. I remember. Quite fondly, uh, Beeks was a physio on there, and I, I sort of, you know, it was quite a, a hard tour for myself. I, th- I think in the end we we got the results, but you know, I'd I'd come in with a with a stress fracture in my fibula into the series, so you know, I was play, basically playing with a broken leg, and then um, you know, in that in that test match, I could start started to feel my back sort of go as well, and I was sort of like, you know, and then. I remember bowling that no ball to McCullum where he yeah, smacked about yeah. 180. So everything that was going wrong could have could have gone wrong. I was oh. in a bit of agony at the time. The, the so. Mitch Marsh catch, catch yeah, a gully, that, that, that one. That was oh. the one. So, um, you know, I'm there I am, you know, bowling no balls, getting wickets, and I've got to feel like I'm getting a stress in my back. I've got one in my leg. And then to top it off, I think I came back in the second innings. We managed to, to bowl really well, but I tore my ab as well in that same game. So I remember limping back to fine leg with a, with a torn ab, a, a stress in my back and a, a stress fracture in my fibula. So <laughs> I, at the time, I was just like, you know, this is you know going to be my last. I knew it was my last test for a while, and I sort of just wanted to, to get it over and done with as quick as possible because I was sort of, you know, at the time I wasn't wasn't in really a great place. Yeah, so I think you. Is there a thought like, do you want to not come off the field at that point? Do you you you, you know you don't want to leave the team a bowler down and all that sort of thing? Well, it was sort of like. Um, yeah, well, that's the thing. I think when you when you do get niggles in games, you've got to play through them because it's hard. It's hard, and I think that's what I've always done. If I've sort of felt my back going, I've you know I've always tried to push through it um, during games, and obviously, you know, it's ended up worse. Um, so, yeah, there's all that. But then obviously, it was it was lucky that it was almost towards the back end where my back completely went and my ab and everything like that. I think we had them sort of eight down in that second mm. inning, so it was sort of like. You know, I was hidden quite well and, Time to go. and that sort of thing so I was quite pleased with that but yeah there's always those thoughts I think that's a hard thing too sometimes with injuries you know you come into a game and you, you know, like Adam touched on before you know you, you want to get through the game you don't want to let anyone down because you know there's only three bowls out there so for me there's always you know that thought and I think learning from that now if, you know you're a bit sore before a game and I think that's the great things with having so many bowls around now that you know if you are a bit sore going in and yumming and ahhing you know we're, we're at the position now where we can sort of go the other way rather than push through it you know you can go well you know there's plenty of Test matches, we've got to look long term, sort of thing. So, you know, for me, that that's probably a big learning learning curve. Another thing I remember from that test match is you told us. I think you told us after the test that you changed the way you were bowling. You changed your action back to the original action the first time around, which to us as you know watchers of the game seems extraordinary that you could just revert back to an older version of yourself. But that has been such a talking point, hasn't it? The James Pattinson action. Were you mixed? Were you side on? Were you front on? Like, does that sort of stuff? After a while, start to grate on you like that. Your what you're you are known for is so heavily scrutinised and trying to find the right balance. Yeah, so 
I think that was a, that was why everything sort of was such an emotional build up with everything injuries and then you know I'd gone through the the winter that that winter pretty much trying to change my action to side on and I came back through the big bash and everyone was texting me saying geez your action's really side on and all this sort of thing and and that was okay for for four overs because you could you could manage that you know you're not tired after four overs you can actually it's you're making a conscious effort to run in and bowl side on so and it was just the hard part was trying to do it in four day games you know you might do it for 10 overs but then all of a sudden when you you know the heat of the battle I was finding it really hard to try and you know concentrate on that sort of thing and then you know the the coaches are sort of saying to you, "Look, look, mate, don't worry about your action. You know, just try and run in and bowl." And that was probably where I went. Where I went, I just sort of because it was quite foreign to me getting really side on. Um, and then I sort of just said, "Look, yeah, uh, it's too hard to do this. I'll just run in and bowl like I used to bowl, and not worry about trying to where my foot feet are going that sort of thing." And you know, looking back from from now, then I think I'm somewhere. You know, looking back to where I actually started bowling I'm somewhere in between those two things and I'm just running in and bowling now so um, now that, that takes a massive burden off your mind you're not, not not worrying about you know your action and that when you're out in the t- playing a test match my first memory of you James you're probably I reckon you're 11 playing Mitchell Shields for Danny Nong at DDCA our club in Debbie Hills was hosting the side at the time blonde kid running around like a maniac around the club from around the corner at Dufton Cricket Club um, having this shock of blonde hair, bowling everyone out, making a truckload of runs. That connection to South East Melbourne remains strong for you, though, doesn't it? It's not just the place you came from. It's the place you live today. All your mates were there from, uh, from the South East Melbourne last week watching you at Edgebest. And most cricketers move on to the red maps of the Melways near the MCG or near Junction Oval. But you've made a decision to sort of stick close to your roots. What is it about that part of the world that's so special to you? I think it's just where I grew up, I think. All my mates are there. Uh, you know, all my cricket was played there as a young fella, you know, my my wife's from there. She's she's grown up in Harkaway her whole life. So, um, you know, her family's really close. So it's just a, I think being on the road a lot. You know, it's just a comfortable place to go back. My friends are there. Um, my family are there, and it's a pretty easy decision. Mm. I, I managed to. I was living in in South Yarra for, you know, quite a bit of you know my early twenties and that sort of thing. And um, just because it was easy with training, but now obviously I drive in and. You, know, you get a bit older, you put a few podcasts on and, and listen to those sort of things when you when you're going in, and you know it's it's quite a quite a relaxing time. So for yep. me, it's just you know, the comfort of it. My, my my wife works around the corner as well, so it's easy for her and, and that sort of thing. So it's just yeah, just really really enjoyable for me. Your connection with the Dubton Club, uh, Lockie Dinger, is that the bat maker at Kookaburra from from Dubton North as well. <laughs> did you did you know him uh, through cricket before the Kookaburra connection? Yeah, I knew of Lockie before before that. Um, yeah, I knew he, I knew sort of um, he was coming into that role as a, as a bat maker at Kookaburra, but um, yeah, that, that's that's great to have him involved involved there, and he's been making some some good bats for us. So um, he's got yeah. plenty of mentions on this podcast. That yeah. must be mentioned about we're, six for Lockie. We're, Dinger, we're fascinated there. with him because he's like the master bat maker, but he's he came in as a kid. He's just making yeah. bats in his back shed at the age of eighteen, and then gets you know he's it's like the old days in, in it's like sixteen hundreds Italy with you know the the master's apprentice or whatever it is. And it also would have been where you were playing soccer too, isn't it? Dufton North Korea Club, which is on top of the. Yeah, yeah. Up to soccer club, you were doing there, both, and your family there. were involved in all of that. Yeah, that's it. I was, I pretty much played all my sport at Dufton growing up, and, and Narrow and North footy yep. and stuff, and that's pretty much where, where I grew up with my dad. So, dad was president of Dufton Football Club for for a few years, and mm. still supports them. My brother played there as well. So, I think it's you know, since my, my dad moved over from from England, he's sort of been heavily involved in in around there, and I've, I grew up as a little fellow running around um, the the cricket and footy club, and. Um, 
with, with my friends that are still my best mates now who came over last week. There was nine of them who come over and I've been friends since I was sort of six, seven years old and that sort of thing, which is which is pretty special. And I know we, after after the, the game, we were sitting at the... Um, sitting at a bar across the road from um, the hotel and just talking about how good it is we've sort of you know we're all um, my, my mate just had his 30th over here and you know it's 24 years later we're, we're still best mates and I've just played a test match over here so it was it was pretty special talking about that sort of stuff I was thinking about this the other day about your wicket celebrations and about how they become iconic in themselves really after the Sheffield Shield final last year those went viral you know the way you're pumping arms and legs I described you as a looking like a centre half forward last week when you were running into bowl for Australia <laughs> do you reckon I mean we obviously played in the same competition growing up and it's rough like the DDC it's rough cricket it can be full on biting as tough cricket as it comes I remember Chris Rogers talking about Melbourne club cricket and saying it was almost a, a proxy for football in the in, in the in the in the winter you play footy uh, in the summer you play cricket the way you play footy the same kind of aggression and, and so on do, do you think that informs the way you are on the field even now in that I mean not that it's white line fever or anything like that but when you're bowling for Australia that you let your emotions show and, and part of it is built on that, that upbringing of playing tough cricket in the DDCA yeah, I think so. I think um, my brother was very much like that as well. My dad's a very passionate guy, and he's always wore his heart on his, his sleeve as mm. well. So I think I get that. It just runs through my family a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I think it. I think a big thing is, is just the enjoyment, and I think, you know, I love trying to motivate my teammates as well. I think I can do that by, you know, the way your body language is and stuff like that. And I think in the end, you know, you've got to enjoy life, and I think, you know, you're playing cricket, whether it be for Victoria or Dandenong, I still love getting a wicket for there and playing for them. And Australia, it's all, you know, it's all great fun, and, um, you know, they're pretty hard to get wickets sometimes, so they're always fun to celebrate. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, you mentioned your dad and your brother. You, you've got that strong England connection as well, you know, playing in the Ashes, but your, your dad being from England, you know, you've got the Big Ben tattoo, um, you know, Darren playing for England, obviously. So it, it's interesting that there's that cross-country connection as well. Yeah, I think so. I'm just talking about where my dad was. is from Grimsby, which is probably one of the roughest places mm. in England. So um, <laughs> I think that's probably where I get a bit of my, my, bit of my roughness from. Um, Grimsby crossed with Nary. <laughs> yeah, crossed with, crossed with Dufton. I think it was always dad Perfect. being from Grisbane. He was from Grimsby. I think he was always going to end up in Dufton. So yeah. <laughs> somehow that, that ties in really well. But um, yeah, look, I've, I've seen my fair shares of, um, of fights at Dufton Football Club and all that sort of thing over the years. So um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's probably obviously all that sort of stuff and, you know, seeing a lot of that and seeing a lot of the, you know, the way footy was used, used to be played at local footy and all that sort of thing, you know, it's obviously, um, you know, you grow up on a lot of that stuff. With the England side that Jeff touched on, when Darren played for England back in 2003, he still cops a bit of grief from people around the bar. I remember asking you a few years ago about that and you were quite defensive, reminding people that he did take wickets in that test match and it's not his fault, the circumstances in which he was born into and the chance he got through playing county cricket. I mean, you know, I can understand having that sort of, you know, sibling defensiveness there yeah. well I think I think when you get older I think the thing I've realised is that you know there's always going to be people who have opinions of you and stuff like that whether they're good or bad I think you just I think that that's where it comes back to you know your roots and stuff like that with mm. the people that, that, care, that matter about or care to you the most and, and matter to you the most that you just go back to them and you know you, you get feedback off them and there's always going to be obviously playing cricket at the biggest stage there's always going to be criticism you know, whether it's good or bad and you try not to read too much into either of that. So I think as you get older, you realise that. And, um, you know, for Darren to play a test match is pretty remarkable having not played, you know, for first-class cricket till he was sort of 26 at Victoria and just happened to come over here. It worked out that Dave Hussey was playing here and Darren had an English passport. So, you know, it worked out really well for him. And, you know, whether he should have played or shouldn't have played that, that test match, it doesn't really matter now. So, but... 
Um, look, for him, I think, you know, coming from, from playing pretty much a different pathway to me, he was playing cricket for Dufton at 20, 20, 21 and not even playing at Dandenong. So for him to play 70 first-class games is a pretty great achievement and, and um, you know, something that he should be proud of, not just him, but, you know, we're pretty proud of, as a family to, to know that we've had, you know, two people. And I know Dad is definitely, he's the proudest to have two sons play test cricket. Well, I think it's been, it was over a century since you had a pair of brothers playing test cricket for different countries as well. So, like, you know, it's quite a significant achievement and there aren't that many test cricketers in the world. So to be one of them still matters, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, you've had a couple of stints at Knots, which follows in the footsteps of Darren too. He won the championship with them in 2010, I think it was. And um, how important has it been coming over here? How comfortable do you feel bowling in England? Because having watched you a bit in the county championship, it looks as though it suits you as well, if not better than bowling in Australia. Yeah, I think like, like you touched on, I think it's just the experience over here. Um, the time that I've had with Nottingham, especially in 2017, was probably the, the most enjoyable I've enjoyed, like the most enjoyment out of cricket I've had for, for years. You know, just playing with a different bunch of guys, different coaches, you know, obviously the roots I have there for my brother playing there for seven years. You know, a lot of go- a lot of them guys did play with my brother, and you know, it was just a bit of a change for me. And um, you know, getting into a different country, experience, you know, different structures, and everything for me was was fantastic, and I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, I think it, you know, coming into this series now with the experience I've had in 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 county cricket is just you know. It's sort of like you get, it's prices really you can't you can't get it anywhere. So yeah, it's been great. Obviously, a defining memory we have of you is Test debut, triple wicket maiden, like the explosion of the celebration. Mark Nicholas going, "A star is born." Um, t- tell us a little bit about that moment, that experience, and, and being in the middle of it. Yeah, look, it was it's sort of a, a really surreal sort of experience. I I remember sitting there, and, and then I think it was like a few overs left to bowl, and I, I managed to get McCullum out, and I'm. I looked up, there was no mid-on, mid-off. There was literally five or six slips in a gully. And you know, I thought I was like playing a PlayStation game. I look up and there's Michael Clark and Ricky Ponting and Michael Hussey sitting in first. But I'm a 21-year-old kid bowling. And it's just like, it's really weird because you you have to pinch yourself out there and think, you know, this is actually happening. Because it doesn't, sometimes you just go on and you just, you know, you get caught up in the moment. And you, you don't really realise what's just happened. But yeah, look, it was pretty special and... You know, it was great. I had all my mates there at the time too, as well. But they actually like the next morning they they missed all that. Like my brother missed it too. He I think he went to the um, went out that night or something, like that, and he was hungover, so he missed that more. <laughs> like it was, missed the two overs. And my mates were like charging in the gate as it as it was happening. So uh, that was quite funny. But yeah, I think it's you know, one of those things that you just you know you, you sit back on when like when you're injured and stuff and think you know and and I think you know people sit there and say look you know you could have played so many more tests if you weren't injured and that sort of thing but I'm just grateful for the the tests that I have played and to be back here playing test cricket I think you know sometimes you people can look at what you don't have but for me it was just the fact that I've played test cricket especially at a young age I've played with players like Ricky Ponning and you know Mike Hussey Michael Clark yeah, like sure. you've got to sit there and go how, how amazing is this like it's yeah. pretty good and, and in special games like even when you've been injured you know you're injured in that South Africa win but that was a series winning test in South Africa with you know one of the greatest finishes of all time with Ryan Harris. Yeah, that's right. That's another. That's probably one of the. Well, it probably is the best test test match I've ever played in, and to be involved in that, and um, you know, obviously getting injured at the end of it, you go through so many emotions. That's, you get the, the emotions of just winning a test match, and you, and then two days later you're on a plane and you you've got stresses in your back. So that's just the, <laughs> that's just the emotions and the roller coasters you go through as a professional athlete. But it yeah, definitely, I think you know when you sit back and think about it, you wouldn't change it. Wouldn't change it all. Yeah, that 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 roller coaster, if you like. I mean, you've played 18 test matches. Mitchell Starks played 51. You debuted 
in that same fixture at Brisbane. I mean, Pat Cummins has a similar story of being out of the game for a long time and coming back. 2013, I mean, you're one of the Mahali Four, we forget about that. One of the guys suspended during homework gate. You play at Lords, you bowl the first over ahead of Ryan Harris at Lords. You're so highly considered at that part of your career. Regrettably, of course, you, you, you rip your side off the bone from memory, something um, like that? No, that's my first time I did my back. So oh, that was the first stress yeah, fracture, was wasn't it? Sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm confused yeah. about which one was which. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets, probably gets that after a while. Um, but coming back to Lords this week, I mean, it probably does evoke a, a certain um, memory of a, of a special time in your life, even though it ended badly in a loss and a serious injury. But I remember you bowling up the slope from the from the nursery end in that test and people said, no, no, bowl the quick guy from the from the pavilion end. Is that something you've had a conversation about this week yet, about whether you might want to run down the slope like Glenn McGrath or, or sort of come up at like a traditional outswing bowler? Um, I think it'll just... I think the, the thing with all our bowlers, it'll probably... Both ends will suit all bowlers, I think. Like, traditionally over here, I've sort of not worried about swing, so more seam. So if you... Back then, I reckon I was more of a genuine swinger of the ball, so down the slope probably didn't help me. I didn't have the other one that could come back, but right. I think my bowling's evolved over the years where I've got the one that comes back now, so yep. I think both ends, and I think all the bowlers are the same, Cummings and Siddle's the same as well. You know, they, they can nip the ball both ways. Right. Um, so I think, you know, it's probably much of a muchness for, for us, but I think... I don't know, maybe the, the iconicness of the, the pavilion and, and bowling from that end with Glenn McGrath and all that sort of thing, you'd yeah, probably yeah. like to come from that end at some stage. But, um, yeah, I think it's 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 a great ground. And I'm, I'm actually, one of my last games here was um, with Nottingham and we won a one-day cup final. Of here, course, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Finals day at Lords, and that was an unbelievable win. We played Surrey in that and we ended up chasing 280 or something like that to, to win that. So that was my, my last memory of this ground, which was pretty special. We were up in the we were in the home dressing rooms and we just, just won there with Knotts. And uh, I think that's why it was such a special year that we'd, we were pretty much top of the, the championship and um, we, were, we won the one-day stuff. And then the boys managed to win the 2020s in the same year. So it was, it was pretty good. I, I remember 2013 more for your batting. Trent Bridge, that was the, the first test I covered professionally and, and you nearly pulled off the win with Brad Haddon in the second innings. It was, it was one of the more exciting things we've seen since the first innings when Ash Tanaga made the 98. Yeah, look, um, I think as you see now, like even the last test match, you see Sids get runs at the end and then obviously myself and Paddy whacked him a little bit at the end. So I think, you know, that's the, the big thing over here. If you, you know, you can put value on your wicket and make runs, it makes it makes it extremely hard for can, the other team. Can I, can I share something? I, w- I want to read you a text message exchange that I had with a mate during the Lord's Test in 2013. <laughs> um, he's, he's back at home in Melbourne. His name is Easy E, if that gives you any, any um, context. <laughs> he, he goes, they thought 98 off 101 at number 11 was crazy. Wait till we reel off 420 for the last three wickets. Disclaimer, I may or may not be hist- horrifically drunk. You were batting at the time. I've texted back just 102 more boundaries in a single. He replies, Pato just got the single. They are fucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, on a, that's very strange. I just thought I just wanted to share that with you. That was happening while you were out there. Yeah, well, I remember you said to me a couple of years ago, you reckon you can be a test number seven. I mean, we saw your hit runs in a hurry last week at Birmingham, but much like Pat, really, isn't it? These years out of the game, you get a chance to spend hours and hours in the nets batting. Yeah, well, that's that's it. You just, you know, if you can't improve your your running or your your bowling and that sort of thing, um, you know, you, you can sit on the bowling machine and you get wangs now off the yep. the bowling coaches and everything, so you can sit there for for however long you want and and keep hitting balls. So I think for me, that was a goal. I, I managed to do it this year with Victoria, bat at seven, and yep. and I think that was a you know big success for us in terms of you know being able to play four quicks um, with our success we had this year. We looked in the Shield final where, you know, basically that we were relentless, really. We had me and Sid's open the bowling, and then you have Scott Boland, who was the leading wicket-taker, and Trem, who's mm. the leading wicket-taker mm. for the last two years in domestic cricket. So, you know, you look back and you you think, you know, there's four of them. It's just, you know, it's really it's really good for, for Victorian cricket to, to be like that. So, um, 
yeah, it was just great to be able to, to be able to get a chance and bat at number seven and always look to improve, really. Was it nice that it was there was a degree of caution showed about you? You mentioned the South Africa test at Cape Town, your rush back. New Zealand at Christchurch, you're playing with three serious injuries. You said no to coming to Ranchi in 2017. Pat came instead, but you're mindful that you don't want to rush things. Like It feels like you understand at age 29, you've probably got more time than you thought you had a few years ago when you were rushed in and you were ha- happy to comply. Yeah, I think so. And I think as a young bloke, it's hard to say no sometimes. Um, that's why, you know, we're always in constant communication now with the selectors and stuff about after test matches, how you pull up, you know, how do you think you'll go this game? And I think that's that's the beauty of having so many different bowlers available now. And I think that's what they've been wanting for for ages is just the, that opportunity. If a bowler's not at 100%, you know, we don't have to risk that. We can have someone come in and, and do just as good a job. And um you know, looking back on, on those sort of tests you touched on, South Africa and that, you know, if I had my time again, I probably, you know, would have taken longer at that stage. Mm. And I think the I think the perfect way they've done is, is with Pat, Pat Cummings. You know, he got, he got managed to play two years of just white ball cricket, but through that two years, he was exposed to some high-intensity cricket, you know, albeit only 10 overs. There was some high-intensity international cricket, with, which, is, which is tough work. So, you know, and, and then you see him come back to Test cricket and really flourish on on the back of that. So, um, I think they're learning, and and it's never going to be the perfect perfect way to do things. But yeah, it's always hard, especially for me when I was one of the top bowlers, and there wasn't really much behind that. So, when you when you haven't got a lot behind that, and you're always they're always pushing you to play, it's you know hard to say say no sometimes. And and playing Test cricket for Australia, most of the time you you want to play that. Yeah, you're never going to turn it down if if you get the shot. So were they were there, was there support broadly in 2017 when you know I mean it was. It was kind of your call to not be available for that test series or, um, or was it more a, a doctor's call a little bit my call I think it's just learning on past experiences um, you know at that time I think I'd played only one game of first class cricket when you know the, the spot came available I'd come off a, a bit bit of cricket in the big bash which wasn't that successful and I was sort of still feeling a bit stiff and that in my back so for me it was just a smart decision to to try and get through the shield um, and then go and play some county cricket, which, you know, uh, that period, that last bit of 2017 shield cricket, I was, I remember playing games and my back pulling out really stiff. I was getting scans after every game and they were clear and, you know, I'd play a game and my back was really stiff again and I'd get another scan. So at that time, that everything like that was going on and then there was a chance to go over there and I just thought, you know, it's, it's probably not right. You know, I'm not 100% here, so I don't think I can risk it. So it was just, you know, going on past experiences and how I felt uh, at the time. James, you have a bus to catch and a gym session to do and hopefully a test match to play here in a couple of days. There's a reason why you're everyone's favourite cricketer, by the way. It's, we love what you do. We've had an enormous amount of fun watching your journey so far. Let's hope it's at the halfway mark and you have a long yeah. second half of your career because we, we just love watching you bowl. But I love the philosophical nature of it, though, that you're like, I've, you know, I've achieved what I've achieved. That is what it is. And pr- pretty much anything from here is a bonus, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the way I look at it. Um, you know, you've got to enjoy each test match. And I think my preparation now is really good. Um, my recovery is quite good. And I think the one thing I've learned and I've worked with a few people over the last few years is just not to look too far ahead. And, you know, at the end of the career, hopefully... You know, I've, I've, I've retired at 35 and I've played maybe 50 test matches. But, you know, f- for me right now, it's just, you know, trying to enjoy life you know, while I'm still an international cricketer. Brilliant. James Pattinson, thanks so much for being part of The Final Word. No worries. Thanks for having me, guys. Cheers. Hi, I'm Isha Gua and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Levin. This is The Final Word. Jeff Lemon, Adam Collins... 
in London, uh, having just spoken to James Pattinson. Thanks again to Kookaburra for arranging that and to James for giving us some of his time just before an Ashes test. Yeah, it feels like he's playing too, doesn't it? We, we heard before the first test at Edgebaston, Tim Payne saying it was... He didn't say in as many words either or with Stark and Pattinson, but he certainly alluded to it. And that squad mentality, we, um, we heard from Stark for the first time uh, for a few weeks, actually, before or rather after the Worcestershire tour game uh, late last week. Uh, and it seems like he's at peace with where, where things are at. He knows he'll play at some point. And likewise, Pattinson, who uh, said to me a couple of days ago uh, in a separate interview that he doesn't expect that he'll play both of the next two tests, but, he, but he'll probably play one. He'd like to play one. And it just feels like he's playing at Lords the way he was running in bowling at training today. Mm. Even that comment he made about um, they feel like they're well-equipped to bowl from either end, but really he'd love to bowl from the pavilion end like Glenn McGrath. It's a nice touch. <laughs> They're um, yeah, not similar bowlers in many no. ways, but, um, <laughs> but perhaps at least in their choice of ends. Yeah. Well, I suppose by the time you're hearing this, you, you may well know. And, and if you're <laughs> listening to this deep into the future, you'll, you'll think how quaint it was that they once wondered about these things. Uh, we've got a second half of the show. We've got to get onto some nerd pledge stuff to, uh, to, to try to test our brains on some of the numbers that you've sent through. They keep piling up, but I, I was worried at one point that we were going... I, I was trying to ration them because I thought we might run out. We've got the opposite problem. They, they're coming in thick and fast. So thanks so much to everyone who signed up for that. We, we are getting to them as we can, and we plan to get through about 40 of them when we, when we corner Andrew Sampson. And yeah. Well, there's a bit of housekeeping on that front, isn't there? We said that once we hit 201 patrons that we would release our uh, outtakes our, video. Our, yeah, blooper reel. Our blooper reel. And we will, but it's fair to say that, as you can probably tell from my decrepit voice at the moment, I'm battling. Uh, it's been a very long few months, so we're, we're oh, going to... Adam's roasted. and <laughs> like He's got some kind of... Something's growing in his chest and trying to crawl out. And, and I'm now in the position where I'm like, well, I'm sitting next to him, so it's only a matter of time. Like It's going to come and get yeah, me next. Yeah, well, we've got back-to-back test matches now, and then, and then we have um, a trip to Manchester, and then we finish off at the Oval. So the blooper reel will come, but we yeah. probably need to set another goal into the future in terms of numbers of patrons and what we will do. Um, but we'll, we'll, we might come to that before the next show. If you've got a suggestion yeah. on what number we should do a certain thing, we're all ears. Maybe well, a VVS? We, we, we are shooting. We're currently shooting for VVS, but I don't know what it is we're supposed to do when we get there because I couldn't come up with anything and, and no one's told me. But, you know, if we've, we're on track to get there fairly soon. So, you know, may, we'll, we'll see what comes up. It's yeah. probably Brian Lara after that, 375. Yeah, the old Lou Richards will bear our bum in Burke Street or something like no, that. No, so. I don't think anyone needs to see that. But um, no, I, or maybe you just—I mean—you've already knocked off half a bottle of cough syrup, so um, <laughs> anything's possible. This afternoon. A lot of the blue frills could be coming from this afternoon. Yeah. I, you know, sometimes it's not—it's not the um, DXM one. It's not the one that makes you hallucinate massively. Um, I think it's just the, the standard. The crusty the clown stuff with pseudoephedrine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the flaming Mose version. <laughs> Which you can still buy in the UK, miraculously. They Over the counter, remarkably. I didn't need a prescription. Of... I, I just needed to explain them. I did the cough a few times and explained to them I wasn't faking it. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think you were pretty convincing. Um, another bit of good news. We, we decided with sort of sponsors around this show that if we were going to have one, we'd like them to be people who we knew were not shysters and, mm. um, and who were doing things that we like. And, and this has happened. Simon Wallace, friend of the show, uh, caller with White Line Wireless, is uh, involved with uh, satellite communications joint they're called sat phone shop it's um, self-explanatory satellite phone shop you can work it out and what they do is stuff that i think we're actually going to find very useful into the future because they give you mobile satellite communication so if you're you know in the middle of the desert four-wheel driving across australia or if you're traveling around the world wherever it is you are you can get wireless internet and you can get voice calls from anywhere like from from antarctica from on top of a mountain wherever it is that you happen to be and uh, and just dial out and you know call your mum see what's up 
<laughs> that really feels like a, a significant technological advance given that getting 4G sometimes in London when you get out of the tube's impossible. Yeah. So well, it's we one of the things he suggested because if you, like, you know, when you go to the MCG or something and, yeah. and every man and his dog is, is popping up the same picture of, you know, Cyril taking a mark on Instagram or whatever and then you, you can't get any communications. I, I think it works in that sort of situation oh, because cool. you're not going to a 4G tower, you're going to outer space. Well, I share that view about having Simon Wallace with us. He was at our live show uh, back in February at mm-hmm. the Commercial Club. January. January, sorry. He's, uh, he's been, as you say, with us on the White Line Wireless journey as well. So it's great that we're able to partner with his company here. Uh, Jeff, uh, tell us, how can people access it? <laughs> I also like his pithy message said, you know, this is what we do, blah, blah, blah. Uh, no, we don't have a jingle. <laughs> I was like, all right, that's just as well because... <laughs> we might be able to uh, write them a jingle at a later date. Yeah, basically. So so it's, it's you know, credit card-sized routers that connect to big things in space. That's how it was wow. described to me. Credit card size route. It's all we need to. Okay, I like it. So you can uh, you can find what they do at satphoneshop.com.au. There's all kinds of gadgets and, and goodies and you know mini solar panels and all kinds of outback stuff there that can help you not die of thirst in the middle of the Simpson Desert. And I would not recommend it. It's a bad career move. No, no, this is good. I like that we've got Simon and them with us for the journey. It's uh, it's going to be a fun one. Yeah. So look, nerd pledge, nerd pledge. If you don't know what it is, it's the game that people play on Patreon. Patreon is the thing where people can chuck a couple of bucks in the tin to keep the podcast going, so that we can do things like interview James Pattinson at Lords because that involves having to be at Lords and <laughs> and badgering Cricket Australia for several weeks to get access to James Pattinson. Yeah, these interviews can be a, a full day experience, really, mm. when you tally up the amount of time we spend prepping and editing and, and so forth at the other end of the process and, and whatever else. So we, we like to, as you'd know if you're a long-term listener to the show, kind of rotate one interview-based show and one issues-based show and uh, and that's what we're going to continue doing because it's gone really well so far in 2019 and, and that does take quite a bit of effort. So the patron page has been a, a huge uh, a huge part of why we're able to do a lot more this year than what we have in previous years when the pods ran for maybe six or eight weeks and then yeah. been spelled for six or eight months not yeah. so much anymore I think we went six episodes eight episodes ten episodes 23 episodes and now we've done about 80 this year so <laughs> <laughs> things have changed uh, anyway so instead of so Patreon is like you can send us a couple of bucks for an app but instead of doing that someone says for instance I'm going to send you $2.75 and then we go what does two seventy five mean did and someone send us two seventy five? somebody this week? did I Smilers Smilers you, you might recognise Smilers from Twitter I, I certainly do Smilers is, uh, has been a lovely, uh, kind supporter of the show over the journey. Thanks, Smilers, for jumping on Patreon. And uh, and when I was looking up two seventy five, I, I, I you know had a couple of thoughts, and I thought mm, could be a could be a tasty cap number. Um, here's one for you, Graham yeah. Yellop, cap two seventy five. Yeah, Graham Yellop. 2,750 test runs. Ooh, that's like that, uh, that, that that's cricket numerology. That's yeah. that's like the uh, the footy numerology fella on Facebook who I enjoy the work of so very much. That's <laughs> that's beautiful. Graham Yallop um, Is Smilers a big Yallop fan? He could be. He could be. Freak, well, it's, it's probably more likely that it's Yallop because around that Ashes series he gets discussed mm. um, due to the fact that he captained Australia in, in, the, uh, mm. in the World Series cricket days for the establishment team when they lost uh, in 1978-79, I think it was so uh, so that, that that's probably the reference point. Although but, if it was broader than that, I remember well a two thousand at, at two seventy five innings. That was Gary Kirsten. I reckon it was at Centurion in two thousand against England when I reckon Chris Silverwood was debuting for England. Anyway, he batted all day uh, and and equaled the South African record of Darren Cullen, and who also made two hundred and seventy five a couple of years earlier. That's what I reckon. Really. 
That's as in that's that's what it could also be. Okay. You know, I'm just saying that. Smile, maybe that, Smiley has that, a I mean, South African connection. It's it's probably Graham it's got to be that. No, but it's no. It's got it's it's got to be two. You can't have two champion South African batsmen with the same high, high score, and it's not there. Yeah. Well, look. It, is Smiley? I reckon, I'm getting a South African vibe from Smilers. Okay. I reckon Smilers might have a South African link. Well, I don't know what I'm basing. Well, this on. well tell tell us Smilers whether we, whether it's uh, Graham Yallop or whether it's Gary Kirsten batting for I think it was three days uh, in one of those uh, Test matches. I was uh, why well, I remember that series so well. Is that it was the first, it was amongst the first handful that we were mm. getting on sa- on cable television in Australia that England were playing, and we were getting them live at home. So you know when you were dying for cricket, you could just watch England play away from home, and mm. it was quite a fun generation to watch under Nasser Hussain, you know Graham Thorpe, the end of Michael Atherton's career, Alex Stewart, um, Mark Rambrakash, Craig White, the ninety mile an hour man, um, Steve Harmison, these guys, that generation who went on to do quite good things around the two thousand and five mm. Ashes and before it as well. So yeah. I, 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 I quite like that little era of English, English cricket. Thanks, Smilers. Next up, Matt Goss has sent us 358, 358. Now, this, mm. generally anything in the 300s is a pretty juicy Australian cap number yes. here. Right? <laughs> However, I th- also think there is 358 has, there are a couple of one-day international scores this year that were 358. And I reckon... Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, where we at one of them? I feel like I was at it's three fifty eight this year. Um, uh, yeah, because I remember at the time thinking to myself, three, you know, like it's it's seven and over if it's three sixty, and it, it does feel familiar. Three five eight, by the way, if we're doing cap numbers, if Warns three fifty, that's the way I usually um, used to hook around it. I mean, it could be a part of the the Brendan Julian Michael Slater mix up where they're, they're together with the backwards they're ones. together forever joined in ink from when um, they got it around the wrong way and I'll, um, I'll, I'll come to that because I've, I've sussed that out but three three five eight there were can can you any, any bells being rung um, look there three were, five eight World Cup game yeah three one. five eight World Cup game okay um, you know in a World Cup fixture oh I know oh, three five eight Mahali Australia chased down Very with good. Ashton Turner. 359. Boom. Spot on. There we Nailed go. It. I, uh, I, I was doing that game for The Guardian. I'm, you probably could go back and look at my commentary from the time saying, Ashton Turner has all but ensured his place on the plane it's for the World, World Cup. Cup squad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sadly not. And, uh, and then about well, three months later, there's a 358 at the start of the World Cup. Oh, um, uh, was it the Bangladesh West Indies day? No, it was Pakistan beating England. Oh, they made yeah. 358. Yeah, that was a great game of cricket. Very um, high scoring at Trent Bridge. Yeah, and on the, on the cap numbers, 356 and 357, uh, Brendan Julian and Michael Slater. So it's someone else. So they debuted together at the first test in 93. So who else? 59 is Matthew Hayden. So Hayden debuted in that series as well. So who so else? who sits in between... Julian, who should have been 56, but is actually 57 because of Slater's tattoo. Yeah. Uh, Hayden at 3.59. Who's slotting in? Oh, I don't think anyone else... Uh, well, I know someone else to boog. They must have in order to make this work, but fast bowlers in that tour... In um, 1993. I think was McDermott, Hughes, Rifle, Mark War, Steve War, a right-arm seamer from that tour who... Jeff's making a hand signal for those listening through, and I can't quite work out what he's trying to say. He's trying to say right arm quick. I'm trying. I'm trying to indicate consistency. Oh, consistency! A right arm, a consistent seamer who played in the '93 really Ashes series. Sick. Pardon? You're very sick. I'm nowhere near it, am I? It's Glenn McGrath. Oh, it's Glenn McGrath. <laughs> it's Glenn McGrath. Goodness me! It's Glenn McGrath. He was pretty consistent. 
That means it couldn't have been the Ashes series. That means that Matthew Hayden must have debuted after the Ashes. That's fine. That, that's because um, McGrath debuted against New Zealand later in the later in '93. So and then Hayden must have been that summer instead of playing a Test 90, in '93, which stands to reason. '94 was, was it? First played. Yeah, ninety three, ninety four. It was like I think it was against New Zealand in Perth. But yeah, okay, right. You are. I just fair like enough. that you could have been doing who, who wants to be a millionaire. If it was any question going, which Australian bowler, it was probably Glenn McGrath. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad we got there in the end. We do, we, it's all about the it's the journey, not the destination. Thank um, you to to Matt Goss, Matt Goss for that. Thanks for the three fifty eights. Uh, Tom Stewart has chucked in a 268. And my favourite thing about this is that 268 is Graham Yellop's highest test score. <laughs> We're having a big Graham Yellop day on the final word. Oh, it's, that's don't have it. enough Graham Yellop No, days. no, it's, it's Graham Yellop day. I don't care what the other numbers are. Although, did you dig up any other numbers in your... Uh, I did. It's also 268 is what Bangladesh made to um, beat New Zealand in the Champions Trophy in 2017. That Marmadula. No, it was uh, Shaki Balhassam, wasn't it? Yeah, who yeah. Uh, who uh, made a century. Cardiff, I think it with Marmadula. Yeah, Cardiff, that's right. Yeah. When, um, when, uh, when New Zealand... Zealand needed to win to progress. Bangladesh did instead, and they went through and made the semi-final. If you, yeah, I know that you like to say if someone's having a trundle, they're having a guy rundle. I do. If they're having it's a very, gallop, uh, are they having a Graham? A, a it should be. I, I like doing the guy rundle thing because it's it's so ridiculously niche. Like yeah. you need to have like really followed Melbourne riding, and you know probably subscribe to Crikey for it to really matter. It's the cricket slash Crikey overlap yeah. in the Venn diagram. Yeah, I don't think there are many people in that <laughs> Venn diagram. I don't even subscribe to Crikey anymore. To be perfectly honest with you, so. uh, two sixty-eight. Thank you, Tom Stewart, uh, Damien Sherry. Friend of the show on mm. Twitter. Thanks, Damien. Been a good Great supporter of, of the ours. show. Has popped in a one one seven one seventeen one one seven. Any memorable one seventeen? One seven, Adam. One one seven. I am. I am. I'm not. I'm not having anything ding immediately, which isn't a great sign. Um, have you got any that dinged with you which you could try and help me to via clues? There are a lot, is is the first thing that I can say. There oh. have been a lot of 117s. There's uh, a Mark War 117. There is a Mark War 117. And it might be the 117 at Port Elizabeth, no, it's Sabina Pakistan. Park. It's against Pakistan. Pakistan in somewhere, Faisalabad or something. Um, no, where, I don't um, even remember that innings. That's unusual for me and Mark Wall. No. Well, you you and Mark Wall... I have a I, thing. I, found, I saw it earlier. Where was he? Yeah, I, I know there was... No, a, Karachi, sorry. 117 in Karachi. In 94, was it? In 98. No, oh, 98. Sorry, yeah, of course. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, uh, but, you know, there, there are various 117s that it could be. I don't I don't know. It'll probably be a great innings, though, won't it? It'll be a 117 that ma- that means something. I don't know if Damien Sherry is going for Ritam and Saha at Rancho Relaxo in 2017. It was quite an innings, that. He, uh, we, we thought he was a walking wicket with Pat Cummins giving him a grilling early on but he got got out the other end and uh, and was defining alongside Chiteshwa Pajara I don't know if he's going for Nick Compton against New Zealand at Dunedin probably uh, not no I don't know if he's going for Inzamamal Harks back to back 117s uh, Ooh, that's that's quite cute that's in our space yeah that's very much in our space against Sri Lanka and, and the West Indies uh, Ponting was in there Hayden was in there but here's, here's the thing that I I would like it to be even okay. if it's not necessarily 117 117 is what Australia was set to win Against South Africa in ninety four, January ninety four, bowled out for one hundred and twelve. Yep, Damien Martin, etc., etc. Um, scapegoat. Yep. Some years later, two thousand and two or three, Damien Martin against South Africa at the SCG made one hundred and seventeen on his own. On his own, That's did it perfect. by himself. 
Yeah, that, that Farney de Villiers spell, which they always show it on television, so I feel like I know it better now from highlights than I do from watching it live at the time. But do remember watching it and uh, and couldn't believe that Australia got rolled in that fourth innings. But, yeah, the, the redemption story. Redemption such a, a buzzword during the week, hasn't it, mm. with, with, with Steve Smith and his twin tons. But, yeah, Martin... Uh, making that 100 against South Africa. Back but at the making SMG the same, in, in exact same run, number of runs, the exact same <laughs> score. So if that's not it, Damien, I'm sorry, but that's what it is now. It is now, yep. Uh, thanks, Damien. Marky has thrown in 105. That's Alex Stewart. I talk about this all the time. That's one of my favourite innings. Alex Stewart, uh, December 27, 1998. So that's when all of Boxing Day's rained out. I think I've told this story recently. That might be why someone's put it in where I, it's the first time my parents let me go to the MCG on my own to go to the cricket. Uh, what yeah. I didn't know is I wagged school several times to watch Victoria play that previous <laughs> year. But the first time I was officially sanctioned to go to the MCG on my own, I was sitting there in my shorts and T-shirt, which I'd received from Santa Claus the previous day, and uh, it was pissing it down with rain, 13 degrees. I was shivering cold at the back of the southern stand. I got back to Dandenong Station at about half past four after play was called off officially at tea, and I just bawled my eyes out and then went back to the game on day two, which became day one, and McGrath bowled beautifully. Matthew Nicholson was on debut, but Alex Stewart played a great counter-attacking hand as, as the captain made 105 and gave England a chance, and they ended up using that chance later in the Test match when Dean Headley bowled oh. Australia out. A Test match it was over in three days, but a brilliant test match, one of my favourite of all time. Glenn McGrath didn't bowl so beautifully that you remember his cap number. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, so, you, all right, you could pick out that 105, but it, it could also yep. be one of a number. There, there have been 99 scores of 105 in test right. cricket. So whoever gets the next 105 will bring up the tonne. Be the we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. That'll be a real final word moment. Don't worry about that. Who, who was the uh, patron of 105? Uh, Marky. Marky. Well, I hope that's what you're putting it down not for. Not sure if it's Marky Mark of the Funky Bunch or not. But, but, uh, and but if it is, we're, we're glad to have you in here. We, we, we know that one of our patrons, um, Naira and Clunas, had a massive day yesterday. His yeah. 450th game for Dalwich Hamlet. Wow. Came on late, equalised in the 77th minute, then whipped it across in the 88th minute. Own goal. Uh, Dalwich win 2-1. So Naira influential in both goals there after coming off the bench. Uh, in terms of the, well. the patron saints of 105s, Alistair Cook has made four of them. He's oh, the yeah. current 105 record holder, Ponting and Sangakara, three apiece. Uh, so that's for 105. And the last one we'll do today, Dan English, um, who is not a Rowan Atkinson <laughs> character, but, uh, but, but he's a real man. Dan English has popped in another 222. Now, we've had... we've 222, of course, started... Nerd mm. Pledge in the first place. Philip Meng, the, the patron saint of <laughs> Nerd Pledge, put in 222, uh, I think is a Richie Benno joke. We got another 222 a couple of episodes ago where we talked about Gundapa Vishwanath or also the Nathan, Nathan Astle, Astle. Yep. The, the fastest double hundred. So I was thinking, I was looking further afield, thinking there's got to be, you know, some, some other things in the 222 we haven't identified. Okay. And guess what I've found? Please. 222, Bodyline Test, Adelaide, 1933. Ah. 222 is what Australia is bowled out for the, in the second innings of the match, in their first innings. That's the Oldfield day. When Oldfield is hurt, Bradman makes eight, caught Allen, bowled Larwood, and uh, and then England go on to, to rack up 412 in the third innings and then bowl Australia out in the last. Bradman makes 66, but he's caught and bowled off the spinner, Headley Verity, and Australia go on to lose after being set 532 to win. So 222 is what they made. When I studied the uh, Bodyline miniseries at university, yes, they let me write an essay about the Bodyline miniseries at university, the Gary Sweet Hugo Weaving number. Um, there's a scene from that innings where um, in the outer, uh, so, so to speak, uh, Australians are burning the 
Union Jack. Now, that did not happen, but, <laughs> but I remember at the time, I liked the iconography. Indeed, I wanted to write this whole thing after um, studying right. that about uh, about links to republicanism and how they, you could kind of find some origin stories in the 32-33 series. Right. It's the same time, of course, that um, Australia is being asked to repay uh, their debts to the British government um, when uh, in, in the Depression and so forth as well. I didn't end up doing that project, but I did it in someone else's name on the front of the Sydney Morning Herald in 2013, my, my then political master, Wayne Swan's name. So there is an essay out there where I've, I've talked about that day, not the flag-burning incident, but the, the broader ramifications God. of Anglo-Australian relations in, in 32-33. I watched, I reckon I watched almost all of it in various YouTube clips when I was writing the book last year because mm. I had a big chapter on the Ashes and Ashes history and it had to cover off a lot of Jardine stuff and and I was you know I wanted to see the Hugo weaving uh, I was like how much so is, good. how much is he just agent smith when he's when he's doing <laughs> Um, when he's doing Jardine and then how perfect is it that he becomes Smith, you know, who's always fighting Mr. Anderson, you know, oh, it's yeah, just the yeah. perfect ashes. Yeah. Everything all comes together. So I spent a lot of, when I was like hectically on deadline thinking, my God, I've got about 46 days left to write a book. I was like, I definitely have to spend four hours watching clips from Gary Sweet <laughs> in the body line documentary. <laughs> this is a very important use of my time. Yeah, the, the film um, got criticised heavily by Bill O'Reilly at the time in the pages of the Herald uh, in 84 as it went to X he's like well the main thing he took umbrage with was that Bradman is seen to be drinking with the boys in, in a train journey at one point he's like Bradman didn't drink with anyone he was teetotal okay, and, and, and they criticised and he sort of saw that as emblematic of the mm. broader historical inaccuracies but hey it's a rollicking story and uh, and I really enjoy the, the body line miniseries if you haven't seen it I think there's six Parts, I think, from memory. Go and oh find God. it. I'm sure it's it's so bad. I'm sure it's, it's in your so video bad. shop somewhere. It's, it's really terrible. With um, with rampaging Roy Slavin, John Doyle, who plays Gubby Allen, the one bowler who refused to bowl body line before he was uh, before he was uh, doing his thing on Triple J and 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 the dream and maybe and, during uh, it. I don't, how early did they start on? Yeah, it's a good they point. They must have started on. But he was an actor in that film. He um, also wrote the miniseries Changi. Did he? Yep. I also, I think Doyle's. I also managed to justify writing an essay in university about Changi as well. <laughs> Those film studies electives came in very handy in my uni. I think I've got it on a VHS box set somewhere in a, yeah. in a, a box in a storeroom of VHS tapes that will never again see the light of day. I'm, I'm sure to say they're all, they're all on YouTube somewhere anyway. Yep, that's probably enough from us today. We we will do more nerd pledge when we have time. Uh, thank you for your nerd pledges if you want to send us one set us a challenge go to patreon.com slash the final word or you can just find it on our website finalwordcricket.com uh, and then send us a little pledge and, and it helps keep the wheels turning yeah a bunch of thank yous to James Pattinson for making time before a test match that's a that's a big thing so with thanks to him uh, thanks to Cricket Australia for making it possible likewise Kookaburra Cricket for uh, uh, for basically always being there for us and making sure we get quality guests on the show thanks to those who've reviewed and rated the final word on iTunes which is always handy those sort of dropped by finalwordcricket.com and, and said to us how pretty it looks because we think it's smashing and we're very proud of our website so all, all the content is there now including like photos we take along the way our twitter streams a bit of instagram action bits so bits and pieces it's, it's more be, than just there'll be more I, I've, i'm aware that there's you know there's, there's more to do with that and so that that will happen when we're not yep. you know writing six pieces a day and and in your case trying not to die mm. from some kind of creature that's growing inside your chest. Mm. And thanks to uh, our new sponsor, Sat Phone Shop. You can go and check out their work, satphoneshop.com.au. Um, find yourself some communications equipment if you're in the market for that sort of thing. What else? 
We've got a test match coming up. We'll be back with the final word, Ashes Daily, throughout the test match, the short episodes wrapping up each day, so keep an ear out for those. And then it will be... Uh, the weekly probably after that because that's how weeks work yeah the daily show we, we got some great feedback from edge and a lot of people listening so keep tuning in they should hit your feeds you know roughly 6am i think it is when you wake up in australia or, or you know after dinner in the uk uh, by the time we've recorded and had them put up by jay Mueller, our producer back in melbourne so thanks as, as always as well to them bad producer productions none of this none of this could be possible without without jay and bad producer so productions. many so many people to thank we are in such a, a debt of gratitude to we the are. world and, uh, and to the universe for allowing us to exist in this brief flicker of time before we're plunged back into oblivion like everybody else. It's nice to spend a bit of that time with you. We'll see you next time if we're not dead yet on The Final Word. Nice. I had to go about it, write it out.